With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. New Vancast to take you into the weekend, and I don't know about you, Drancer, but like I have this very kind of weird, bizarre feeling knowing that the next time you and I record one of these things... It's hockey season in the middle of July. Like, we have made it to the end of the line. This would normally be that sort of final weekend of August ahead of Labor Day. Uh, We know that it's not Labor Day, that it's mid-July right now and all that that we've been through as a society. But we got a training camp to cover on Monday. We do. And I'm expecting a pretty similar flow. Week one, like, I think it's going to be bag skates. I think it's going to be, you know, some of those sort of informal two-period scrimmages. Uh, like, I think it's going to feel September-like, except for now, the Canucks are gearing up to play meaningful games, not not just into the spring, J-Pat, which was the goal, <laughs> meaningful games in August. Imagine if Jim Benning or Travis had had a crystal ball uh, last fall and said, our goal this year <laughs> is to play meaningful games into the summer months. <laughs> <laughs> People would have been like, walk before you run, guys. Uh, but no, the... Look, it's going to be weird. It's going to be really weird. And, you know, I'm sure we'll be set up, you know, in the building with masks. And, um, you know, it's going to be very, very odd and very challenging. Like, I think it's going to be an extremely challenging event to cover all around for everybody, whether you're broadcast, radio, you know, print, behind a paywall at The Athletic. Like, I think it's going to be a real test of creativity and ingenuity and, uh, you know... also just your ability to cope deal enjoy the experience of being at the rink with limited social interaction like it's just going to be a strange couple of weeks and for the Canucks you know I think a pretty tremendous opportunity like we now know that 34 players are in Vancouver already report you know they're they're essentially they've reported they're accounted for uh, there's still an opportunity. There's going to be a window to withdraw following, you know, the ratification, which I think is pretty widely expected today. But I think the Canucks are going to have their full arsenal of roster players. I think they're going to be young and hungry. Uh, I think they're going to be pretty well positioned here. Like, not that the Wild are a pushover. I mean, they're going to have a tough time even getting into the playoffs still. But boy, like, I kind of look at this, size them up, and think this is a team that actually has a chance to do something in the event that hockey in fact gets played and things go relatively smoothly here over the next five weeks i'm calling it right now here on the vancast so uh, we've got this on record uh, i want section 315 uh, to myself <laughs> as we watch like i have no idea how they're gonna seat us or allow us no. or what the like all that stuff like every little bit of this is the unknown but that's kind of what makes it cool to me as well like you know who knows how long we'll be covering hockey hopefully for a lot of years still to come uh look this has sucked it it has but we're gonna remember this you know like it's just like all those you know so much was made about grads of 2020 and yeah they missed out on sort of the standard stuff but you know in some ways it's like the world was creative around a lot of the grad activities that i saw this year and i thought 
in some ways, that's pretty cool. Like, they're going to remember that uh, for the rest of their lives. Like, I barely remember my grad year and all the activities that went along with it. It was that long ago. But, you know, this is the reality. And so covering training camp in a pandemic, like, I was putting together a checklist the other day. Normally, in September, I'd be thinking, oh, man, like, I got to, you know, get out of shorts and put on pants to go back into the rink and all that kind of stuff. And here I'm like, hand sanitizer, mask. Uh, yeah. disinfectant wipes like well, who's ever who's ever gone to a training camp with that kind of list well and jpat add to it water add yes. to it a tumbler of coffee right like and this BYO. is going to be yeah. <laughs> this is going to be you know i was thinking about how i would walk media through what to expect if i was on the other side still the other day like I, just a spare thought while i you know sat in my patio and had a white claw and I was thinking, like, this is combat conditions. Like, expect zero amenities. No game notes, no roster, no printout, no refreshments, no food. Like, this is combat conditions. And that's sort of what occurred to me. And and maybe that's a little dramatic. I mean, we're just walking to the rink and sitting in the stands. But, you know, nonetheless, I'm, I'm going to show up to the rink prepared. Like, I'm going to have my granola bars. I'm going to have <laughs> a level of amenities for myself that I never would usually have, uh, certainly at training camp. We should probably lay out the the ground rules now. Like, what about borrowing gum? Oh yeah, no, no, no borrowing gum. Um, <laughs> I think though, I think though that I could perhaps buy you a pack if you wanted, and pay off the Tim Schaller bet. Now that the Kings have been officially eliminated, anyway. No, and because I want d- the glory of leading you into the store of my choice and okay, having well, you we go can to mask the- up and do that after. I suppose, but yeah. I want to be there. I don't want you buying the gum without me. Like, I want right. to witness. I want to see you get your wallet out. I want to see you make the payment. And at that point, the transaction has been completed, and so has the bed. <laughs> but you come out as the big loser if there's no gum sharing at training camp, like at the that's ring. That's true. I'm going to have to be how, stalked. That's how this whole thing started, was I know, borrowing gum at training camp. <laughs> I asked for too many pieces and truly Damn offended right. you. I'll never... I'll never forget the look you gave me, like three, <laughs> as if we're not going to be together the entire season sharing gum over the course of the year. Like, you're never going to get it back. Three? <laughs> Ludicrous. You're still I in the still, wrong here, J-Pat. No, I still have quiet moments where I shake my head and I have three sticks of gum. Like, who? Oh, who in their goodness. right mind? Uh, but Thomas Drance would do that. You mentioned combat conditions. I, I hope I have your full attention here on the podcast this morning because i saw that you were Mm -hmm. like battling all over twitter uh revisiting trades of the past decade and uh, you also and and credit to you uh wrote a very fine piece like like people have been talking about the looming cap crunch for a while but the piece that you posted this morning uh as we record this i thought did a very fine job of just laying out walking people through the exercise of what Jim Benning and John Weisbrot and Chris Gear and the rest of the Canucks front office are going to be up against in the offseason when we get there. There's still the play-in to play yet, so it doesn't impact you know the remainder of this season necessarily, but what's coming? And you know some of your articles, maybe too many graphs and charts, but I thought this was the right number, and I thought they were used <laughs> effectively. Uh, I could follow along, and certainly it has... Uh, you know, fostered more discussion online and in social media yet again. As we know, there is no middle ground in this debate. There are only the two sides. There's everything's just fine and shut up, or there's the truth, I guess. That's the other side. 
Yeah, and I, I did get a text from a national insider who I guess read the article this morning and just said, at w- what point this week did you decide to write a piece that would burn the city down, um, which had me <laughs> laughing a little. But the fact is, is that I wrote this a long time ago, and I, I wrote most of it a, a long time ago. And, you know, as I sort of started working through what the Canucks would need to do to create the cap space they really need, even just to retain the players, you know, like this model that I built doesn't include a free agent signing that's not already on the Canucks roster. Like this is, there's no one brought into the team that's not on the reserve list, as it were, at the NHL level. Uh, This is just, this is what they need to do to sort of stay in place. And, you know, it's ugly, right? Like it involves a Brandon Sutter buyout. It involves some really difficult trades for players like Sven Berchi and Jordy Ben, who are not going to have a ton of trade value, especially in a flat cap environment. It includes, you know, <laughs> letting Chris Tanev walk in free agency. Did I already say that one? Uh, it includes, you know, burying Louis Erickson in the minors and having $5 million effectively in dead space on the books as a result. Um, like it's not a good scenario and the team at the end of it is not better. Like it's actually worse. And, you know, even for all of that, my model ends up with them being like $50,000 below the cap upper limit. Um, you know, which I just think more than anything, I just wanted to give people a taste of the real dollars and the sort of the step-by-step that you have to go and everything that needs to break your way in terms of grinding restricted free agents and opportunity costs. Like, you know, this model, for example, includes a one-year deal for Adam Gaudet at the cost of his qualifying offer. But if you believe that Adam Gaudet's going to keep improving, like you have a real chance to get a good value contract, like a Nick Bonino contract redux for a guy who may continue to improve exponentially over the next year or two. Like, those are the types of deals for a 40-point bottom six centerman that can put you over the top, especially as Pedersen and Hughes become more expensive, which is the big looming atom bomb over this team. So, you know, I just thought it was important to sort of lay it bare, and I tried to do it fairly. I wasn't doing it maliciously. Like, this is not about owning anybody or sort of helping anybody, uh, you know, in their Twitter arguments, sort of beat their chest and (laughs) enhance their worldview with an argument. Like, this is just about laying the facts bare and making it clear for people that because of some inefficient contracts at the bottom of the books, right, because of the flat cap scenario, because of recapture, you know, this team's going to face a really crunchy summer as they look to improve And I just don't see how, without an act of what I coined uh, as Ericsson X Machina, in which they get rid of that contract, like, I don't see how they retain their key UFAs, re-sign their key RFAs, and improve their blue line in consideration of, you know, just what their books look like. I laughed. I probably shouldn't have. But I saw one of the early comments uh, to your piece on the Athletic site, (laughs) and somebody had said, can Louis Erickson come down with a Marion Hoshla like rash? And I, <laughs> that's pretty Awful. harsh. Like, uh, but I mean, we get back to this idea that you know people just think somehow Louis Erickson is going to walk away out of the goodness of his heart and leave all this money uh, on the table. And you know, until I see it happen, I'm not expecting to see it happen. The other thing no. is, and we've touched on this before, but you know, your piece is examining. The Canucks in a vacuum. The Canucks issues what the Canucks face. And that's fine. 
because that's how Jim Benning's got to operate. He has to, he and his staff have to figure out how to maximize their roster and put the best team on the ice. But then there's the other issue of every other team is trying to do the same thing. And, you know, I always come back to, you know, okay, the Canucks sort of are entering their competitive window given the pieces that they've got, especially Pedersen and Hughes. You know, then you look at a team like Colorado that's a little bit ahead of the Canucks on the curve. They're already into their competitive window, but they're going to be there for a few years, you'd think. And they're going to add like a Bowen Byram, you know, the fourth <laughs> overall pick. Like we're talking don't about the forget, Canucks. Don't forget Alex Newhook either. Like they're right. a buzzsaw. Right, exactly. So, so you know, we talk about the Canucks and, you know, if the biggest pressing issue in big picture is you know, figure out contracts, the next contracts for, for Pedersen and Hughes, you know, then the, the second biggest issue, if it's not 1A, is addressing that blue line and, and not just retaining, but getting better. And we've said this repeatedly. But then you look at a team like Colorado, they've got, obviously they've got Kale McCarr. Harm did a piece the other day that laid out just how good Sam Girard is, even if people around the league don't necessarily talk about him as much as maybe they should and now you're yes, adding he's insane now you're adding Bowen Byram the fourth overall pick and hockey fans in Vancouver know all about Bowen Byram like you think of where that team's going and we haven't even mentioned McKinnon and Landeskog and Rantanen and Nazem Kadri and on and on it goes so you know it's one thing for the Canucks to try to get their house in order but their house has to also be competitive to get past a team like the Colorado Avalanche and so you know, the challenge is a steep one. There is no question about it because other teams uh, are getting better and are in better, you know, cap situations, certainly have a little bit more flexibility. Um, and, look, I mean, getting Nathan McKinnon done to the deal that he's on, is it's criminal, really. Um, <laughs> True. You know, when, when you think about it, but, hey, that's a great bounce for the Colorado Avalanche, and we'll see if ultimately they, they can take advantage of it. Yeah, and the Canucks benefited from that era of, very team-friendly second contracts, too, with Bo Horvat's deal, right? Like, Bo Horvat yep. at 5.5 yep. is not a steal of a similar magnitude just because Nathan McKinnon is a top-five hockey-playing human in the world, whereas Bo Horvat's more like a top 75 to 100. But nonetheless, like, that 5.5 for Bo Horvat, that's an $8 million player, maybe a $10 million player on the open market. With the Avs, though, one thing I just want to quickly dwell on here before we move on is, you know, remember... Back in 2016-ish, like, the Avs were a mess. They bought their own bullshit after overperforming during the Patrick Waugh season. You know, when Patrick Waugh figured out that actually if he managed end games better, he could accrue an extra 10 points just by pulling his goalie like a madman. And, you know, they doubled down with a bunch of dumb bets, like really stupid bets, and completely mangled their roster. And, you know, it took some years to dig out from under it. But there was a come-to-Jesus moment. And when you look at what happened in that front office, you saw, you know, Chris McFarland, the very underrated Avalanche GM, one of the most creative sort of administrators in the game right now, empowered. You know, they brought in Eric Parnas, for example, one of the smartest and most distinct of sort of the stats nerd hires, especially because of his focus on tactics and special teams. You know, you saw a different sort of front office emerge. Like, Joe Sackick had a come-to-Jesus moment, and out of an absolute wreckage of a season in 2000, was it 16-17? They sort of get here just through years of discipline, ingenuity, 
and process good process relentless good process and that's what brought them here like there is a possibility that the Canucks can do something similar over the next two three years but at the moment anyway on the last year of Pedersen and Hughes's entry-level contracts with them fully formed as elite NHL players like probably top 25 maybe top 20 players in the league this season costing a combined you know less than two million against the cap like the Canucks are not going to be in a position without an act of God to focus purely on upgrading their roster and instead are going to spend time managing their books there are huge opportunity costs to that and I think it's important to make it plain even if you know I also make it plain with the qualifier that there is still an opportunity to write this ship and figure out a way to contend especially with the, just the bevy of elite talent that this club now has at the top end of their roster right and I think that's an important point to underscore and and I think we've said it before but it's worth repeating that like, it can be done. The the work can be done. No one's saying that this thing is headed off a cliff never to be seen again. It's just that we haven't seen a ton of, you know, cap finesse from this management group. And some of those contracts that were signed, you know, at the time, people said those are fine right now. They're not in a competitive window. They've got the cap space. You know, they don't hurt them. But beware two or three years down the road they're going to come home to roost and I think that's where we are right now and so now it becomes time to really see some stick handling from this Canucks front office or at least in the offseason whenever it begins Mm -hmm. Uh, we need to see some stick handling that we haven't seen we need to see some creativity we need to see this team take advantage of whatever competitive uh, you know areas they think that they can identify and so uh, you know, let, let's see it play out. I, I'll give this group the opportunity, but at the same time, you know, people have been pointing at a number of those same contracts, and there's no need to bang that drum a whole lot more. Everybody knows the players we're talking about. You know, it's the bottom of the roster. It's the fringe guys. It's surrounding those core players, the key pieces, with better supporting pieces. And as you've laid out, they're just, you know... You said, like, your model doesn't include going out into free agency and bringing in players that you think can make the team better. You're trying to improve from within, and then you're hoping that, you know, you get a bounce here or there with some of those sort of uh, fringe pieces that they've got in place right now. Like, you know, like a Zach McEwen somehow taking yep. a real step. And, mm-hmm. you know, last 10 games he played. Yeah, there were some signs there, but it was also an outrageous shooting percentage. We're not expecting him to be a massive offensive contributor, but you know that's the kind of break I think that the Canucks would need is somebody from within absolutely stepping up because the name of the game isn't just retaining, it's trying to improve the group that you've got. No question. And just a last point before we pivot to the read is the MOU and the flat cap, right? What, what what we're now going into in terms of new rules of the road for NHL business and the conduct thereof. You know, we are in a moment where the players I most expect to get squeezed over the course of this six-year CBA extension are the players that the Canucks have multiples of on the roster, which is the, you know, between the ages of 28 and 32, three or four-year deal at, two and a half to four million dollars right like that's the player that's going to be rare by the end of this extension and so we'll see where this goes but I think that's an important thing to note too is that 
you know, the way that this supporting cast has been constructed is, you know, it was probably out of date already, but if it wasn't, it now is immediately. And we're really going to see that class of player hollowed out in terms of what their contracts look like over the life of a deal in which, you know, the salary cap's not expected to explode, you know, in, in terms of the upper limit uh, in the years to come. All right. So you put this thing on the tee for me. I have to now take my best swing and try to <laughs> knock it out of the park. But yeah, oh yeah. We've, just come, go. we've just come through a segment of the podcast where we know the Canucks are going to have to do some trimming, some clipping, a little bit of shearing perhaps uh, <laughs> around the edges. Uh Look, maybe they could use a you know some help from from Manscape. Uh, we certainly appreciate the help that we get from Manscape, uh, the best in men's below the belt grooming. Uh, Manscape offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels, and uh, Manscape is has just launched in Canada. For those listeners in this great country of ours, you can be one of the first Canadians to experience their life changing products, and that's why Manscape has redesigned the electric trimmer. The third generation trimmer features cutting edge ceramic blades. To reduce manscaping accidents, and you don't want any part of those, don't want any salary cap accidents either, but uh, certainly don't want any manscaping accidents. And I mentioned this last time, when I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery's going to last 90 minutes, so you can take a longer shave. Water-resistant technology allows you to groom in the shower. So check it out. You can get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. 20% off, free shipping. The code is THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use the code THEATHLETIC. Can I jump in here, by the way? Really quick. Yes, you can. Yes. All right. Lawrence Gilman, Brandon Mm. Pridham, John Wall, Ryan Martin, Manscaped. All Manscapers? Capologists. Capologists. There you go. (laughs) And maybe Judd Brackett uses Manscaped as well. Who knows? But Ooh, uh, he was good. in the news, obviously, yes. this week. As I mean, it, it, look, I have I have stuff on this that I didn't get to use. Okay, well, because I got some of it afterwards. So I'm glad the podcast we're is for. This. But let's go. It was funny. I mean, the reaction on Twitter was understandable. Like you know, you don't see front office people leave one team and go to their playoff opponent uh, no. weeks before a playoff. So again, nothing is normal. Yeah, I, I, but look. And hilarious. Like, it's sure. just funny. No, it is. You're right. Absolutely. But, like, I saw some people like, oh, you know, he's going to take proprietary secrets with him to Minnesota. And he's going to know all about injuries. And, first of all, there are no injuries. Everybody's healthy. Uh, second <laughs> yeah. of all, he was based in Cape Cod and hasn't been around this team. And we know that there wasn't a lot of communication between Judd and the front office as things kind of went sideways. So I don't think there's a worry there. Uh, look, the no. impact that Jeff Brackett's going to have on this series is still on the Vancouver Canucks, all the players that he delivered to this organization. So uh, his impact in time will come through the draft for the Minnesota Wild, but he's going to have no impact whatsoever on the series, on the ice. But yeah, it is, it's funny. It's, it's very 2020, uh, the year 2020. Why not to have Judd Brackett leave the organization and wind up now working for the team that they're facing here in this play-in? Hundred percent, and again, unprecedented. And I think most of the reaction was tongue in cheek, like people sort of freaking out. And that's what Canucks Twitter does best. Uh, you know, can't you can't you don't want to stop Elias Pettersson from taking one timers. You don't want to stop Quinn Hughes from keying the rush from the front. 
like you don't want to stop Canucks Twitter from freaking out. Like that's how it works. Uh, the bracket thing. Okay. So I looked into a Seattle note before his contract properly expired because I was trying to see whether or not they'd requested permission and if they had, whether that permission had been granted. And I, I couldn't really get to the bottom of it. At least I couldn't get to the bottom of it to a point where I could confidently tell our listeners whether or not I thought that request had been uh, you know, made or not and whether the Canucks had said yes or no. Uh, so, But here's what I did get a sense of in doing that work. I think that Seattle got arrogant here to be totally honest with you I think they thought they had their pick of the litter I thought they I think they assessed the financial landscape and thought that no one else was going to be hiring in a big way and I don't think they made a rush to make an offer and in fact they never did make an offer to bracket but for months it had been assumed like by people close to Judd certainly by everybody in the hockey community in the Pacific Northwest that this was all but a fait accompli uh, that Judd would go down the I-5. I and ultimately that didn't come to pass. And I think Garen acted really aggressively. Now, the Wild have a very lean front office as it is. And they were in a hiring freeze, like a complete hiring freeze. And it looks like, to me anyway, that Bill managed to open the gates enough to snag Judd and make him a credible offer in the midst of a pandemic and also it looks like Mike Murray who was the VP of hockey ops in the AHL and was long you know a, a close confidant of Bill's so good on Bill moved quickly here managed to you know sort of <laughs> as it were you know checkmate Seattle like Yep. jump in on something that everyone thought was done and steal essentially, you know, a, a top executive, like a top director, one of the most highly regarded amateur scouting directors around the NHL for their work over the past five years. And, you know, credit to him. Like, that's that's well done. And for for those sort of wondering about the autonomy issue, right? Because that was the big issue on Judd Brackett's departure. My understanding is that Brackett won't be reporting directly to Bill. There will be some kind of administrative layer between them. Um, but I think there's some comfort level there. Uh, first of all, you know, I don't think it's a secret that Judd and Trevor Linden are close. Uh, Trevor and Bill Guerin go way back from their PA days. Uh, certainly, you know, they were both on the executive of the PA during the sort of first lockout uh, or not the first lockout, but the big one, the one that yeah, imposed the, the salary cap. Yeah. Yes. The lost season. And, you know, they're both Massachusetts guys. And, and I think there's, I mean, for those of you who don't know a ton of Massachusetts people, like there's a lot of opinions, right? right? For every, <laughs> for every room full of five Massachusetts people, especially in hockey, there's, you know, 15 different opinions. So I think there's some, there's some comfort level there across the board, despite the fact that, you know, for all that it was formulated that Judd wanted to be making his own picks and on and on, it doesn't even look like he'll be reporting directly to the GM in a situation that he clearly felt comfortable enough to leap after uh, and accept the job there. So that's sort of what I know about the Judd Brackett situation. Obviously in Vancouver, um, you know, they're continuing draft prep without him. I know that Jim is taking on a, a big role in guiding that, but that's 
standard for Jim. I mean, Jim's always been involved and he knows his way around uh, in terms of the amateur scouting side. And, you know, John Weisbrod, of course, is running the meetings and sort of taking on a bigger portfolio in Judd's absence and as the continue, Canucks continue to prepare for the 2020 NHL draft. Well, that's all uh, very good intel. You know, it's interesting to me, and, and I don't think this has been discussed an awful lot in the hockey world, but I remember asking Craig Button uh, on the radio not that long ago, sort of, who's the big loser in the fact that hockey hasn't been played here for four months? And he said, without a doubt, Seattle. And you think about Ron Francis and his staff trying to assemble that initial inaugural expansion team. And they should have had these months of watching the stretch run, players playing under the microscope and the heat getting turned up, and then a full run of playoffs. Now, they're going to get an opportunity here, but like I haven't heard as the league is trying to, you know, shrink the bubble and keep as many people out as possible. Like, what is the role of pro scouts through all of this? Like, if you're, yeah. and, and just all these teams that are going to try to sign free agents and the, like, you know, Tyler Toffoli could be an unrestricted free agent. You would think that other teams with interest would want to see him perform at the highest levels here, like, are scouts going to be allowed into the building and into the bubble? I, I don't know. Maybe as group fives, right? It's not spelled out directly. Yeah. But, but I the just, NHL's I, I, discouraging, you know, non-essential people from being there, including media. I know. So imagine being an organization that's prepared to pony up 30 or $40 million for an unrestricted free agent. Yeah, and you're trying point. to make the final decisions off television. Like, you, you know, you, you like the scouts are there to see guys away from the puck and both ends of the ice and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, so it's just a layer that hasn't really been touched on, but Seattle, you know, trying to put together sort of its final plans. I mean, they'll have next season as well, whenever that starts or whatever that looks like, but it's just something that hasn't been discussed an awful lot that, kind of handcuffing an expansion franchise right now uh, just because they've kind of run out of runway here to continue with their evaluations. Yeah, well, and we'll see what the amateur season, like preparing for their first NHL draft, you know, they're not going to be able to watch Ivy Leaguers in the fall. We know that at least, uh, which pivots nicely into a Jack Rathbone conversation, which we should have quickly. But also, you know, if you have an American director of amateur scouting, for example, to to pivot back to a Judd, right? It's not like he can travel to Europe, even if there's games there, right? <laughs> Legally, there's going to be restrictions on where and whose eyes you can have on certain players, um, right. which could actually be an advantage for the likes of, you know, Jim Benning, for example, who's a Canadian citizen, right? Like, if there's a European player the Canucks really like, like, Jim can go see them probably in the fall. Uh, there's going to be American general managers who can't. Uh, or Canadian general managers based in the United States who can't. Like, th- you know, there's everything's going to be so much more complicated. Like, that extra 30% more complicated as you're evaluating, especially on the amateur side, uh, over the next season. And I think, you know, that puts Seattle at a, at a disadvantage, which only sort of makes it more baffling that they didn't and haven't sort of leapt to assemble uh, a scout- an amateur scouting staff. I'll let you touch on Rathbone in a sec because mm-hmm. uh, he's been front and center this week as Harvard and other Ivy oh, League and, programs and next have week. been too. Uh, you had a note in your notebook and you yourself said it and I will back you up on this one. You kind of nerded out on the notebook item that you wrote. Yes, And I mean course. that in a flattering way, but you went deep <laughs> on a lot of things that other people ne- wouldn't necessarily touch. Uh, the one thing that cracks me up and I, I need to get to the bottom and I will at some point is... 
this notion of Travis Green having these great conversations with Nikita Trampkin. Like, I, you know, the last time Trampkin yeah. was in town, the guy claimed he didn't speak a lick of English and he, they needed a translator to come in. And now I'm hearing that Travis Green is sitting back having these like grandiose chats. And we know that Travis loves to have his <laughs> conversations with players, but I need to know. I want a transcript, damn it. I, I want to know how these conversations have gone off. The way it's been framed to me at some point, and I don't know exactly when, but uh, Green and Triamkin had like a 45-minute telephone conversation. Come on. Um, yeah, that's that's how it's been framed to me. Um, and, you know, I don't know if that's a huge, like, reason why Triamkin's sort of been gung-ho on not returning to Russia and sort of getting a chance back. But, look, he wants to come back. I mean, he'd have signed in the K already. K training camps start mid-next week. Right. He hasn't signed for a reason. He has options. Uh, he's waiting and he's hoping uh, to come to Vancouver, but I also know that he's hoping to come to Vancouver not on the cheap. And as you go through the model that I built, for example, at the Athletic for the Canucks cap situation, I mean, it becomes difficult to see how a $2 million third pair defenseman might not be a luxury item, especially in a world where surely Oscar, Oscar Fantenberg, uh, you know, costs half as much. So we'll sort of see how this plays out. But yeah, apparently, uh, apparently a 45 minute, I'm sure, scintillating phone conversation between Greener and Triamkin at some point. Jokes and, like, just, I can, <laughs> I'm just trying to picture the whole thing as it plays out. Uh, it's unfortunate. Like, I know that some of these guys, and Jordy Ben as well, they can play the right side. It, it, the conversation would shift if one of these guys was a right-handed defenseman. They sort of got this mm-hmm. logjam of, of lefties, and Rathbone is among them. Yes, and here's the Rathbone thing. And I wrote this a little bit, but I, I just want to emphasize, like, the Canucks will never have a leverage situation like they do right now with Jack Rathbone. And we know the history of Harvard players. You know, I add to it just the whispers that I've heard out of the Boston area and, you know, from all of the scouts and the like who like to call me a homa because of my support for Quinn Hughes over Boston <laughs> collegiate product, Kale McCarr. Uh, but, you know, there are whispers that Jack Rathbone is a, is a higher than normal level flight risk. And, you know, you've, you've, you've followed my work long enough to know that I'm not usually the guy who's like, this is a problem, right? Or like, this is, that's not my style. I'm not out there trying to get people to panic, but I, I, the Canucks have done a great job pulling players out of the NCAA ranks. I do think Rathbone's a more complicated case than some of the ones they've gone through in the past, including Besser and Hughes and Demko and Godet. I mean, obviously the track record that this organization has, building relationships with its prospects, especially its NCAA prospects and getting them signed, speaks for itself. So Rathbone, to me, though, is a more interesting case. And now, this week especially, because... There's a three-day window in which the Canucks can offer Rathbone an NHL contract that begins this season, even if he's not eligible for a signing bonus until November, officially the end of the league year. It allows him to burn that year of his deal, and he can come to training camp with the Canucks when that opens, at least according to the MOU, you know, in, I think it's mid-November. So, or early December, either way. Considering that the Ivy League has canceled games and and winners and like fall sports right they're never going to have more leverage than they do right now and if Rathbone opts not to sign between presumably the 13th and the 15th like and the way the MOU is worded truly Jeff is like between the third day and the fifth day (laughs) like voice of god shit 
uh, you know, if he doesn't sign in that window, I really do think the Canucks need to pretty quickly pivot and, and sort of consider him to be like an Adam Fox type asset, like still a useful asset, still a more valuable asset than the fourth round pick they used to select him a couple years back, but an asset you'd have to sort of look at as distressed and in need of, of dealing uh, to make sure that you are in fact able to monetize it. And so, you know, I do think next week's going to be crunch time for the Canucks with Rathbone. I know that there's a lot more optimism, you know, even vis-a-vis the formulation I just presented uh, internally with, with Vancouver, but that's how I'd sort of handicap it just from the outside looking in and based on the sense I have uh, from talking to a variety of people. I probably shouldn't admit this, but hey, we're just between friends here. Uh, every time I see MOU in print, like it's always in capitals, right? Moo? Memorandum. Do you go moo? I do. In my head, I moo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Am I not? Moo cow. So I'm not, I'm not alone in this. No, no, not at all. Uh, oh, thank Ian God. McClatchy. McClatchy oh. in particular. He's like the moo. And he like really sits on it anytime you bring it up. Yeah, no. I, I oh, read I'm it feeling, like moo too. I'm, I'm feeling better about myself already. Like I yeah, was worried no. that I was going to a dark place there because every time <laughs> I see it in print in my head, I moo. And so I'm glad to know that I've, I, I'm not sure that, it, I don't know if I need McClatch as my guiding light necessarily, but I'm, I'm glad to know that somebody out there uh, is doing that as well. Hey, let's finish up. And we are truly, it's the end of an era on the VanCast because uh, uh, through this stoppage, I think it was your idea way back when uh, that we would you know, just throw this in at the back end of uh, VanCast, have some fun between us, a little friendly competition, and people, listeners could uh, play along as well. And of course, uh, that is Name That Canuck. So uh, I, I've done the tally here. I've kind of kept a running total as we've gone. And, and do we have stakes here? Final we do game? have stakes. This is... Let's go. Yeah. So we're going to put this to bed because uh, next week, training camp, we'll have uh, nothing but hockey topics. So uh, this was fun, mm-hmm. but in some ways it was a little bit of a, a filler too for, for the podcast when games weren't being played. And I think back, uh, you started with Jason King. Uh, I nailed Garth Butcher right off the top, one of my oh, three yeah. pointers. That was, a, that was a big one. There were uh, others. We covered a lot of ground, all the eras sort of when I think of the players... Uh, you know, everybody from Pat Quinn, Petrus Skrinko, those are all guys that you quizzed me on. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll never let you live down Mike Robitaille, who uh, <laughs> still... That was, I, that was a yeah, jerk one, I got for stumped. sure. You know, I had Brad Richardson, uh, Matt Lindgren, probably wasn't fair, but uh, we ended up, uh, with, uh, we got to him, Steve McCarthy, uh, Trevor Latowski. Uh, Ryan Stanton was a little bit... This one may have uh, screwed right. the totals, because I, I effed up. I, I did, I... I had a mistake in one of my clues, so you got him. Uh, I gave you the full three points uh, based on my oh, error. Oh, no, no, yeah. no. I disagree with that. I think I should get two. I should get the split. Well, because I, I remember I named him. You did. But I named him for the one-pointer. Uh, I, I, think, I, I, think I, sh- I think we should go with the split. We should, you should minus one point from my total, and I should get two for the error. Okay. Because I wouldn't if, have got if it. If that's how three. we're going, then the totals as they stand here... Uh, are, yeah. I've got 18 points. You now have 16. So Perfect. you need the two-pointer so two two pointer pointer. here. Two-pointer for a draw, three-pointer, and you walk away the champ of All right. name that Canuck. So here we Kyrie go. Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving up in here. Let's go. It is not Kyrie Irving. No, that's your first guess. You're wrong. Uh, you <laughs> On to the second no, clue. I'm Kyrie Irving. I'm about no. to hit a three for the win. Okay. Uh, in, and you might. In 2008-09. Yes. So the 8 09 season. Among players with 18 or more goals, this guy finished third in the NHL 
with a shooting percentage of 19.2% behind only Ryan Malone and Louie Erickson. Wow. Okay. 08-09 Canucks. Yeah. That's Mike Gillis's first season. So, there are among Canucks players who would have scored 18 or more. Maybe Mason Raymond might have been a little early. Ryan Kessler. Mm, I don't know if he got 18. Pavel Dimitra. Steve Bernier. Henrik and Daniel Sedin. I'm just listing my options. Okay. I'm going to go with the late, great Pavel Dimitra for the win. It is not Pavel Dimitra. Nope. Damn. So there goes the three-pointer clank off the rim. And uh, you got your rebound, though. It came right back out to you. So you're still in this thing. This but I've stepped was, in. I've stepped in across player, the line. This player was part of the Canucks playoff runs in both 2009 and 2010, but played against the Canucks in the 2011 postseason. Hmm. Oh, my God. I'm so mad I didn't get it. The first guess. It is Kyle Wellwood. It is Kyle Wellwood. Yes. Nicely done. God. God. I should have <laughs> got that. I should have got that with my first guess. Kyle Wellwood, so there is a template for a player with a high shooting percentage, and it's a guy who doesn't shoot that often. Alex Tongay is a classic example. Um, Henrik Sedin was a classic example. And Kyle Wellwood's up there. I should have I guessed this one. I, he wasn't even on my consideration set. Kyle Wellwood. Oh, you Damn got it. him. You get two points, and so we end in well, the draw. But it's it overtime. After, yeah, no, no overtime. No, we're calling this one a push. <laughs> Regular we'll, season rules, one point each. There are each. ties. Yes, exactly. There are ties right. in this game. Uh, my third clue, I don't know if, uh, I'm assuming it crossed your feet at some point. It w- was seen sharing a ride with Alex Edler on Canuck uh, video posted to the team oh, yeah, website yeah. this no, week. No, of course I saw that. <laughs> D- my favorite part about that, by the way, was the Canuck social team making it very clear that they Filmed shot the video in, in February, in February. Of 2020. <laughs> yeah, like not not violating the terms of social distancing, people. Calm down. <laughs> yeah. I love that. No, I saw that too. I got a kick out of that one. Yeah. So, it reminds right, me well, of... if. If you listen to Sakaris whenever Blake's out now, right? He's like, previously scheduled vacation and like really hits it very hard. He's like, it's majestic. Um, But yeah, it's really funny. Uh, That's what it reminded me of. Uh, All right. Well, good fun. All in good fun. We covered a lot of ground uh, with Name That Canuck. And as I said, we're just putting it on the shelf. It may come back at some point uh, for those of you that are going to miss it. Yeah. One day in the future, I want to host, like, uh, name that Canuck bar trivia when we can all be together inside uh, and get sauced and, and guess random Canucks. That's that's sort of my dream for this segment. Well, I like the idea of a live uh, VanCast somewhere down the line. Uh, we haven't had that opportunity based on world circumstances, but uh, if we ever get to uh, anything that looks like uh, a normal or a new normal, uh, maybe we'll be able to get people out and uh, have a night like that. That would be good uh, good times, and I think fingers crossed. Uh, would be well-received, absolutely. Uh, hey, former LA Kings executive Mike Fuda spends the full 60 with Craig Custance this week at The Athletic if you're looking cool. for other pod options. And uh, a reminder, as always, check out our comment section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app. And don't forget to rate and subscribe The VanCast on Apple. If you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash TheVanCast, get 40%. Yeah, 40% off your subscription. Hey, Drancer, I'll see you at the rink. Wow. Looking forward to it, man. Yeah, likewise. Uh, Have a great weekend, everybody. Uh, We'll check in from training camp. The summer edition, the COVID edition, hockey upon us. We're all looking forward to it. Uh, We'll talk to you next week here on the VanCast, the Athletic and the Athletic.com.